Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would speak, Lord, that your presence would be known here, Lord, that this message would not be from man, but from you, from your word. And your Holy Spirit would be the one that we would hear from today, Lord. If any words on my notes or these pages, Lord, are not of you, Lord, just strike them from this page. Strike them from my mouth now, Lord, because we want to hear from you. We want to hear from our Lord. So, Lord, teach us now. And all God's people said, Amen. So is everyone good this week? It's been okay a week. Power's back on. Temperatures are cooler. I've really enjoyed this kind of this series or the teaching that we've been teaching because we've been walking with Jesus and walking with the disciples as Jesus has been in his last days or his last weeks before he got to Jerusalem to face the cross. Now, as Jesus has been teaching these lessons, some of these lessons have been challenging. They've been challenging to hear. They've been challenging to teach. Um, and I think <coughs> perhaps some of these lessons that Jesus was teaching, he felt so important because he knew he only had days or even maybe a week left with the disciples and the people. So some of these lessons, I think, are really important. And I think that as we look at these lessons, he was trying to talk and teach the disciples what it is to be a Christian, what it's going to be like to walk as a follower of him when he was gone. So these are great lessons for all of us because we are all disciples of Jesus. So if we look back just through the last few months, we've been going through this this teachings from Jesus. We can see that Jesus, he taught us how to have faith in him. Remember, maybe six weeks ago, we learned that we need to have faith in Jesus even when it would seem absolutely impossible. Then we looked at another sermon and we learned how we're always to give glory to God. And we're also to be looking for a second coming. Then another sermon, he reminded us to pray, but to pray consistently and also how to pray, to pray with a humble heart. These are the lessons that Jesus is teaching in his last weeks before he'll face the cross. Two weeks ago, we looked at marriage and divorce. I was right. So now we I taught on that. I'm, I'm assuming all of you that were here have been on a date since, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, I hope that was that I say, if you take anything out of this message, take your spouse on a date. Last week, we learned an important lesson from God. We learned just as that rich man, that God needs to be number one in our lives, that there is to be no idols in our life before God. Now, today we're going to continue learning as the days are numbered for Jesus. Remember now the Jesus The disciples have made Jesus number one in their life, right? They've been following Jesus for three years. And Jesus knows this is only a week left. Now, as the disciples have followed and chosen to be with Jesus for three years, it's the same story for many of us. Many of us have chosen to be followers of Christ for many years. We've surrendered to God. We've surrendered our lives to serve him. Now, last week, we saw an interesting question, didn't we? Remember Peter? Who remembers that question he asked? Those who were here. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Imagine that question. Would you ask Jesus that question? Well, Jesus, he did respond. We learned last week. Jesus did respond to Peter. But he didn't just respond to Peter. He responded to all of us, all of us that would say that we are Christians. 
And he did respond. He said, we will receive eternal rewards. hundred times more than we've given up here. Then Jesus continued, though, with that message last week with a warning or a statement. Because I think there was some misunderstandings, maybe. There was, people were, I think Peter and the disciples were a little confused on how this was going to work out. So, he wanted to be clear, Jesus did, what they would receive in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus knew the disciples' hearts, just as he knows our hearts. So Jesus, he wants us to understand this important principle here. Jesus today is going to use a parable. A parable that will study, that will teach us a lesson, that will better explain what he said last week in verse 30, 1930. We're going to go over that in a minute. Now, we're taught a lot of lessons during life, aren't we? From, we teach our children, we teach in school, we have a lot of lessons. And the title of this message is, Life Isn't Fair. I think many of us learn this lesson from a small age. As we look over at our brother or sister, and maybe they got a sucker, and we didn't get a sucker, and we're like, Mom, that ain't fair, they got something, I didn't get it, and we're like, life isn't fair, right? We learned that lesson early on, right? I learned it this week with that grilled cheese sandwich, that's just, that wasn't fair, that wasn't right. It's kind of life, how it is sometimes, isn't it? Now, I'm sure each of you can think from a young age to your adult age when you have saw things or had things happen to you where you just go, that's just not fair. All of you can think of something, I'm sure. In life, we don't always get what we think we deserve, do we? But maybe this isn't such a bad thing. Think about it as we study this parable today. Aaron, when you get a chance, maybe Dan, you can give me a little cup of water. I'm hurting up here. So... Would you like, the question as we start, would you like to be treated fairly for everything you've done in your life? Think of that question as we get into this. As we start this text, remember that Peter has brought this question up. He's asked this, what will I receive for being a Christian? I'll try to slow down a little here. Now, this question, we have an, in America, we have a saying, and maybe you have something in Myanmar. The saying is called, what is the elephant in the room? This saying is, if there is a major problem or a controversial issue or something that you don't really want to say, but everyone's thinking it in the room, but nobody wants to say it, it's an elephant in the room because everyone knows it, but nobody wants to say it. Thank you, Aaron. So you think about it. As the disciples were serving for three years of their life, I'm sure they all had that question Just as Peter had. What are we going to get? But none of them were as bold as Peter to just come up and say, Jesus, I've been following you for three years. What am I getting out of this? So Peter just spoke up and said it. That's like a question that everyone would have that most people wouldn't usually answer or ask, I should say. So what is our reward for serving Jesus? You know, I really thank God and thank Jesus for choosing people like Peter. Because he brings up a lot of subjects that I probably would have never brought up. There's a lot of stories in the Bible because of Peter. And examples in the story because of Peter that I can really learn from. So, you know, thank you. Jesus knew what he was doing when he picked them disciples, didn't he? Now, as we dig into this parable, and we look at this lesson, the question always is, is who is this lesson for? Who does this, is it for you? I asked you earlier, have you ever felt life wasn't fair? 
Has everyone had that happen? I think so. Have you ever felt cheated? You ever felt maybe a little jealous? Or even a little envious? Now, this usually takes place in my life where I have done something and I think I should get something in return and it doesn't go the way I think it should go. Maybe I see others blessed by God and I know them. I know they're not that great a person, but God is just pouring out his blessings upon them. And I say, well, God, I'm a good Christian. Why don't I get them blessings? And why is this guy, who ain't that good a guy, getting all these blessings? I admit. Have you ever felt that? It's normal. We're human. So life isn't fair. So this message applies to all of you, unless you're super spiritual. I don't know. Life isn't fair. And sometimes... It would seem to us that Jesus isn't fair. Careful how I worded that. We know that Jesus is always fair. And we know he is just. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Let's get into the sermon. Big introduction. Let's get into Matthew. Let's back up one verse to last week. Matthew 19.30. That's really where we got to start. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Jesus had just given us and the disciples a promise of rewards in the next life. And this one, in some case. He even told the disciples that they would share thrones in heaven for what they would give up in this world. Now, we also saw that whatever good things we as Christians give up here, for his sake, according to this scripture, we will be returned a hundredfold. Now, one commentary said it this way. In other words, they were not making sacrifices. They were making investments. But not all dividends would be received in this life. This was last week's message, but we got we to back up a little bit to get into this week's message. So Jesus has now explained to us that we will be rewarded for everything we have done or given up for the kingdom of God. But these rewards may not be given in the way that we think they should be given or in the way that we would expect them to be given. Now, after all this is said, Jesus explaining this to the disciples and to us, Jesus felt it was time for a parable. And that's where we're going to get into today. Now, because I think the disciples' motives were a little bit wrong for what they were doing, just as our motives sometimes are a little bit wrong for the things that we do, sometimes I'm, myself, I'm a little bit thick-headed, especially being an American. Uh, my view as an American is a little rough. I've always had some strong principles. I've always believed, and, and I've taught my children, the harder you work, the more you do, the more you'll be rewarded. Sounds reasonable. I've always expected to receive compensation for the works that I've done. I've always worked very hard. And I've always usually received a lot in return. Now the disciples, they just given up three years of their life to be with Jesus. Peter said it. I'm sure the others were thinking it. They were like, what am I going to get out of this? Now, They had just heard that conversation, if you remember back, that discussion that Jesus had had with that rich man. So now I think they were probably wondering, this is what brought up Peter to say it, was all of this for nothing? 
has everything I've done for you in the last three years been for nothing? Now, they're wondering, did I just waste three years? I say that, and I think a lot of us has felt that same way at times also. Wondered the same. Wondering, what have I been doing for the last few years? Was it worth it? I have questions like this come to my mind. I even had questions like this come to my mind this very week. What am I doing? Is it worth it? I don't know. What are my expectations for the work that God has called me to do? Let's see some answers in God's words. Let's get into this. Verses, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Jesus, is again, is going to use this parable to answer Peter's question and maybe some of our question. It's really an analogy that he's going to use to help us understand deeper spiritual truths. In this story, it's an employer and an employee. Right? I mean, all of us should be able to relate to something in this type of environment. All of us have probably been an employee, and many of us have been an employer at some time. So this story should all of us should be able to relate to. We see in this story the first workers that were hired, they were hired with an expectation to receive pay for their services. You see that? Look in that look at that first verse. He said he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them to work. So let's think about this analogy as in employees and employers. First, imagine you are an employee. Shouldn't be hard for most of us. I think almost everyone here has probably been an employee at some point. What is expected from you as an employee? What do you expect from your employer as an employee? Now, let's turn the coin a little bit. Imagine you're the boss. You're the employer. What is expected of you? What do you expect from your employee? We can see each person in this story has certain responsibilities. Would you agree? There are certain expectations on both parties here. Now, this story is just like today, isn't it? It's very common. The situation is just like today as it is in Jesus' time. And the situation of the vineyard is very similar. It could take place just the same today. Think about it. A farmer would plant his crop. He would plant this crop. He would take great care of this crop. Then finally, the time would come that it was time to harvest. Very exciting. He would go to a place that people were looking for work. In this case, he went to the local market, and he would try to find workers, and he would hire them. Now, I don't know exactly how it works here in Myanmar, but like in the States, we have a Home Depot's, or they're like Pro Ones here in Myanmar. So I, I've been in construction all my life. So in the morning, if I knew I needed laborers for a job, I would go to the Pro One or the Home Depot early in the morning, and there would be guys standing there hoping someone was going to come to hire them for day laborers. It was very common. And you would find people there looking for work, hoping to find jobs. You would look at them. You would talk to them. You would tell them about the work that you were expecting from them and the hours. You would agree on a wage... And then you would go to work. Just like in Jesus' time. It was just the same. 
Everyone knew what was expected, and let's get the job done. Let's continue. Verses 3 and 4. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. Look closely at that scripture. Do you see these workers were hired with a slightly different expectation? It says that he would, they would receive whatever the owner thought was right for their services. That, that wage wasn't necessarily agreed upon. It said whatever is fair and right according to the owner and hopefully the employee. What wages would you expect at this point? Put yourself in the story. You start, you know, this is labor type jobs. 9 a.m. I've worked construction all my life. You don't start at 9 a.m. If you work outside in a labor position, you start as soon as you can see light because it's hot. 6 a.m., whatever the case is. So 9 a.m., I mean, in a labor sense, your day is almost nearly halfway gone. So what type of pay would you expect starting at 9 a.m. for this type of work? What do you think? Let's, let's continue. Look at verse 5. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Interesting. It's apparent that the owner didn't have enough workers. Which makes sense if you think about why he was hiring the workers. Because it was a harvest, right? It was a grape harvest. And many of you are from rural communities or farming type communities. Think about it. A harvest of grapes. These grapes, they were used to make wine. And the better, the sweeter the grapes, the better the wine. The better the wine, the sweeter the grapes, the more money to be made. You imagine this vineyard owner, this farmer. I imagine him going out each day into his vineyard and testing the grapes as harvest time grew near, trying one to see if it was just sweet enough, checking out throughout to see, waiting for that perfect time to come, that perfect sweet grape to start the harvest. Then one day he goes out, and he tastes a grape, and he's like, this is it. It's time. The grapes are ready for harvest. It's amazing. But the problem is, if you had a big vineyard, and you had all these grapes, that time for harvest is short, isn't it? If them grapes stay on that vine too long, they're not going to be very good. They're surely not going to be the quality that the owner is looking for. He wants that sweet, perfect grape to make the perfect wine to make money and good wine. But that harvest time is very short. So he would have needed a lot of workers, wouldn't he? So timing was critical. A few days too late, the opportunity for a great harvest would have been gone. Look at verses 6 and 7. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again. And he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, Why haven't you been working today? Verse 7. They replied, Because no one hired us. The landowner told them, Then go out and join the others in my vineyard. An hour left in the day. One hour, probably. I mean... This owner is taking advantage and grabbing every single worker he can get if he can only get them for one hour at the end of the day. Maybe this is a smart farmer. He knew 
that crop being harvested was more important, even if it was only one hour and he still had to pay that worker, that it was still more important to get that crop harvest, even if it was for one hour, than what he was going to pay that worker. Maybe this is why, we don't know, but I mean, this is kind of a, a parable. So maybe that's why the guy kept coming to town. He knew the harvest was ripe. He knew he didn't have enough workers. And he needed more workers. So he kept coming back. I don't know. Look at verses 8 and 9. That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Remember the landowner had promised the first worker a full day's wage? Now, I don't know what it is here in Myanmar. Maybe it's 10,000 jets or 15,000 jets for a day's wage. In the States, maybe it's $100 now. I, I don't know exactly. But, I mean, it's pretty commonly accepted usually what a day's wage is for a laborer. But these workers that came later, remember what they were told? What their expectations were? They would receive what was fair. That's what they were told. So what do you think each worker should receive? I mean, you look at it, it's like, first it was early in the morning. Then it was like 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, was it 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. Uh, so what, how do you think that should work? What should each w- worker, what would you think if you were an employee and showed up there at noon? How much money should you get if you'd only worked that half day? Now, look back at that text. Do you notice the landowner told the foreman to have the last worker come first? Why do you do that? Why didn't the landowner do it? Why did he call his foreman over to do that? I've been a foreman. It's kind of the middle management. It's always a difficult position, isn't it? Now, if he had done it the other way, right, nobody would have known what was going to happen, right? If he called the people that was there first and just gave them the money, then like nobody would have known. But he said he did it backwards and did it on purpose this way so everyone saw and everyone knew what he was doing. This is very intentional. I tell you, I've actually worked in fields. I've worked in orchards. I've done this kind of work. I've never actually picked grapes, but I've picked a lot of other things. And after working all day long in the sun, you're tired in a whole different way than you've probably experienced. You're done. You're tired. It's hot. You're dirty. You're sweaty. I mean, you got dirt all over you. It's just, you're done. You're it's completely exhausted. It's, it's a type of work that is, uh, it's, I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. Um, I think I'm too old now. But I was seeing this, and I was wondering, could you imagine standing back of this line? You saw these other guys come in later, right? You're working away, and you saw these other guys come in, noon, 3 o'clock, and then you're watching. They just got a full day's wage. What would you think? What would, you, what would your reaction be? I, I tell you, I don't think I would have reacted as well as these guys even. Let's look at verse 10. When those hired first came to get their pay, as they assumed they received... Let me reread that just to make sure. Verse 10. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they were to receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Could you imagine being the foreman in this position? Remember, it's the foreman doing this. It's not even the owner. You know this is going to be a problem. How would you feel... You just, I looked at kind of the math row. You just worked 10 times harder than that guy that came in at 5 o'clock and you both got the same pay. How do you feel? 
Let's look at 11 and 12. Let's see what's going to happen here. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. Now, they were upset. They were angry. Got a funny face for you here. Ready? There you go. These workers had been paid exactly what they had been promised, but they were upset. Who could understand this? I can get this. I understand it completely. I would be upset too. If this happened to me, I would be, I, I completely understand. I, I would believe, be upset that I should have received more than someone else that worked the same amount, or worked a lot less hours. I, I would be upset. I would say they were less deserving. Maybe there's some of you that are a little holier than me, or would just be happy for your friends in front of you. I have to say I'm not quite there yet. Maybe one day. I'm just not quite there yet. Um, maybe some of you would look at that guy in front of you that just worked an hour and get all that pay, and you'd be like, wow, that's so great for that guy. He, he was really blessed today. I'm just not there yet. I'm sorry. Um, I would have been kind of like these guys here saying, why didn't I get a little more pay? Um, maybe one day I'll get there. I don't know. I hope so. You never know. Anyways, these laborers failed to be thankful for their own wage, right? Because they were paid what they were told they were going to get. They were not, no longer thankful for the work. They were no longer thankful for what they had gotten, even though they'd got exactly what they were told they were get. Now they, they were blinded now, blinded by their self-interest. They had a, and they had a lack of compassion for their fellow worker, their fellow brothers and sisters, uh, maybe even family members. Let's look at 13 and 15. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? This owner responds in a loving manner. Friend. Then he continues and he reminds the worker, I have paid you what I promised you. I've given you what you deserved. And also reminds him, though, it was the owner's money. He can spend it and do with it as he pleases. This owner doesn't need to justify to the worker what he has done. He has fulfilled his obligation to that worker. The only reason given for the owner's generosity is because he wanted to. Look again at that verse. Do you see the owner's closing statement? It really demonstrates grace. Can't I do what I want with what belongs to me? Do you resent my generosity towards others? It's a question for today. It's a question for us. What's your answer to this question? Look at it again. Verse 15, the end of it. Should you, you could look at it this way. Should you be, depends which translation. Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Look at verse 16. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Now, Looking at this parable, we know that Jesus is speaking to the disciples. But remember, it was Peter that brought this whole thing up, remember? Now think about that. Look at that verse again. Who was one of the first disciples? It's Peter. This 
verse is the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us all. He's trying to teach Peter, the disciples, and all of us. He had said it previously. We looked at it last week. Then we see it here in verse 30. Now it's said a little bit different in verse 30 from uh, verse 16. But he uses parables so all of us can better understand this lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. God may not reward us and others the way that we would expect. Thank you, Jesus. Think about that. Thank you, Jesus. What do you think about this? What, is, what about that saying that we just we talked about? Life isn't fair. What about the other side of that coin to that statement? Remember, this parable, Jesus uses this parable and all parables to teach us usually deep spiritual truths. Think about it. Would you like to see everyone, us, get exactly what we all deserve? Do you want, to, do you want it to be fair, really? To be paid perfectly fair for everything you've ever done. To be paid perfectly fair according to God's law. What would your reward be? Look at verse 17. I'm going to shift gears just for a second. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Now Jesus, throughout the Gospels here, is always led by example, showing the disciples in us what it is truly to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is going to be very bold here. Now this isn't the first time that Jesus has told his disciples about what's going to happen. I think there's three other times. But this time he's very clear and very detailed about what was going to take place. Now, He's telling the disciples very soon after he just told them this parable as they're heading to the festival in Jerusalem. Now, I'm sure the disciples, as they're heading there, days away from the festival, um, they're probably very excited thinking about this last teaching, right? They're thinking, he's preparing us. He's the Messiah. He's going to take his place, right? They're waiting for Jesus to reveal himself. Look at 18 and 19. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus takes these two scriptures and perfectly outlines what was going to take place. Probably in less than ten days at this point. Yet, as we see this, and Jesus knows this is coming, you see his focus still is teaching the disciples to teach us. He wants to prepare the disciples for the ministry that he has for each one of them. Now, I don't know what the disciples exactly thought when they heard this. I mean, this had to be kind of strange to hear this, right? Maybe they thought it was another parable, and they're like, I don't know what Jesus is talking about. This is some lesson we're supposed to learn, and I don't get it. And They, they show no response. So God, none of the disciples, the Bible doesn't show a response from the disciples. We don't know what they thought, but Jesus was very clear. And of course, we know later, this would be affirmation for them that he was who he said he was. But in closing, to look at this, the parables again, spiritual message in it. So I want to take a minute to look at this parable now in a different way. We just looked at it with an employee, employer context, right? Let's look at it in a spiritual context real quick. The market, look at just look at it as we go through this. The marketplace. What is the marketplace in a spiritual context? It's our world we live in today. So who is the landowner? Look at that parable. The landowner is God. Now, so you see it's God 
who goes out into the world and seeks out workers. Because he has a job to do, right? It is God who seeks out the world, seeks out the workers, and it is God who sends them into the vineyard. Remember this. It's God who sent them. And he sent them to the vineyard. What is a vineyard? It's the church. It's all around us. Now, who are the workers? It's us. We are the laborers. Do you see in the passages that also, remember, it was like 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock? So God is continually seeking out and sending out more workers. It's constant. And at the end of the day, you see in that parable, we read it, at the end of the day, everyone gathered to, day, gathered to receive their pay. So what does that spiritual mean? I think this is the moment of reconciliation. Couldn't get the word out. Right? It's judgment day. It's time to get paid, right? But like Peter said, what do I get out of this? This is the time. This is the day that we will all receive what we've all been promised to us. Now, interesting. In that story, there's someone else, the foreman. Who was the one who handed out the pay? It was the foreman. I believe in this story that's speaking of Jesus. It's through him that we gain our inheritance, that we gain our reward in heaven. It's Jesus who distributes this pay. It's Jesus through Jesus that we get our internal salvation, which we were promised. Consider this also. Which workers received the pay? It, the workers that received the pay, that received the promise, was those that God called first. But it wasn't that just God called. It was those workers that accepted God's call. And it was those workers that God sent. They were the workers who got paid. The ones that... It seemed, so what was the only requirement in this story to get paid, to receive the promise? What was the only one? To answer the call. Didn't matter when. Doesn't say how hard they worked. Didn't say if they even worked hardly at all. Just answer the call. Now, I just want to go through a few more lessons or points. I think this, is, this parable is so important to us. So next time you see a person, you see this person. You know that person that's really been blessed by God? Maybe some of you are wondering who this person is. Trying to think of someone? After the service, go back there and look in that mirror back there. You'll see that person. You'll see a blessed person. I'm talking about each one of you. Are you going to say, look at, look all the work I've done to be blessed? Is that how it works? Or maybe you're struggling right now. You're going through a real difficult time. Maybe you would say, maybe... I haven't been doing enough to receive God's blessings. Or are we going to look at this parable and understand it's only by God's grace that any of us are blessed? It's not our works. It's God's love and his grace. How are we going to look at others after looking at this parable? Maybe we do see others that are greatly blessed, some other people. Maybe we see some that we know that are really struggling. And they just, I'm like, I don't know why that person's struggling so much, has so many different problems in their life. It's not because of their works, but it is God's will. Now, God's grace is interesting. It's hard, a little bit hard to understand, a little bit hard to get our heads around at times. But, you know, there's people like me who got saved a little bit later in life. I came to serve Jesus later. I, wa- I wasn't saved at a young age. And I tell you, first half of my life, I did a real poor job in this world. Then there's others who got saved at three or four years old and have served Jesus all their entire lives and are sitting here even to, like that here today in this room. You know what? 
We both are getting that same promise, that same inheritance from God. Praise the Lord. We can't always understand why sometimes when we look at grace, when we look at blessings, but we can rest in the promise that God does give us. We know the character of God. We know that he's infinite, he's generous, he's gracious, and we know, we just saw this passage, he will always give us better than we deserve. Now, remember, just like this story here, if God does give grace to others, even when you feel they're undeserving, it is kindness to them from God. It is not an injustice to you. It's hard to get around sometimes. A disciple of Jesus should not measure your worth by comparing the accomplishments or sacrifices of others. But focus on serving from a heart of gratitude in response to God's grace. It's kind of complicated there. When you see God pour out mercy in someone else's life, what's your reaction? You see that person, you know that person is just a rotten individual. They've done this, they've done that, and you, your whole area, you've done this and you've done that, and you see God just pour out blessings on that person. What's your reaction? Hopefully thanking God. Thanking God that we are rewarded on the principle of grace, never getting what we actually have earned, any of us. Today's sermon is a reminder that God owes us nothing in this world. Everything that we do and have received is because of his grace alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for that. We should live our lives here today with an expectation. We can have that expectation of receiving blessings, but we have to have that heart of thankfulness for the grace that we have received. Maybe you don't think it's enough. We need to be so thankful. i got a quote for you as we finish up. If God gives grace to others, it is kindness to them and no injustice to us. Matthew Henry said that. If we are to be followers of Jesus, we must understand grace and accept it as a blessing. And as we see grace in others' lives, we need to thank God that we don't receive what was fair. But we receive grace, and that is our blessing. Now, if the worship team could head up, I think after this sermon, I'm sure you have a real important question on your mind. All you guys from worship team, head on up, guys. What question's on your mind right now? Life isn't fair. The question I know you all have on your mind is, did I ever get my grilled cheese sandwich? There it is. Let's see that. So, Vicky came here for co-op with that big block of cheese and that bread, right? And I was very upset because I didn't get any of my grilled cheese sandwich. I was feeling really, this isn't fair. So she came here, and guess what happened when she got here? No electricity. So she couldn't cook the grilled cheese sandwiches. And so she had to go down to the tea shop and have curry. Now, this wasn't intentional or anything else, but this is funny because this is kind of how life works sometimes, right? I, was pre- I tell you right now, when I was eating my curry at home, I wasn't happy. But she shows up with that bag of groceries later that night, and she still got all the cheese and all the bread. I'm like, what happened? She's like, there was no power. I couldn't, I couldn't cook. And so I didn't just get my grilled cheese sandwich that night. I got a grilled cheese sandwich, and we had some ham. And I put some ham on that grilled cheese sandwich. So that's, I ended up getting more than I even hoped for. 
And that's kind of how God's grace works, isn't it? You see it, and he's like, this isn't fair, this isn't right. It isn't fair, and it isn't right. It isn't fair, and it isn't right that we are blessed by God. So praise the Lord.